This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode. My guest today is a unique unique guest for you guys. He's going to help you do your due diligence. He's going to help you save money. He's going to help you preserve your assets. He does asset classes like retail, office, industrial, but he also works on mobile home parks. He's going to help us understand asphalt in particular and road work. Please help me in welcoming our guest, Scott Jolly. Scott, thanks for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I love your podcast. I've been listening to it since you started it. So I was like, I think I got something to add maybe. help yeah, out. Well, you're, de- you're definitely, you're, you're my first guest here talking about CapEx. So you're definitely got a, a unique niche. Tell us how you, tell us a little more about your background and you know, kind of where you, where you operate and what, what your role is in the process. Yeah, sure. I have a, a great short story in the industry. Like my grandfather was a bricklayer. Some of my first jobs in my life, my first job was mixing mud and carrying bricks and pouring concrete for my grandfather, like 12 years old. So I uh, poured my first house foundation, uh, which is a post and pure foundation, not too dissimilar from MHPs sometimes, you know, and, uh, and in Mississippi, actually, and down in the South. And so that was when I was 17. I started my first uh, real estate investment company when I was 24, and I got my serious butt kicked in the 2008 uh, recession. Uh, Went and decided I wanted to learn a little bit more, got into paving, did did paving and concrete, worked for a company in Southern California for six or so years, Uh, was pretty successful, and kind of actually got asked by a lot of clients to be we started traveling for our my local clients around the country to do consulting for them. Like, hey, we want someone in Denver and Seattle. And so I wasn't the contractor, but I was a consultant. And then I decided to go out on my own. Now, a few years ago, our vision is to be a full nationwide capital expenditure consulting firm. We do focus on, the, uh, in the commercial real estate world, which can be considered the big three, which is HVAC, roofing, paving. Uh, we are also now, clients are asking us, we're doing an Amazon tenant improvement. We're doing some other larger capital expenditures for uh, TIs and like total property uh, transformation. So uh, that's who we are. I've been doing this now full time. Started the company about five years ago, but full time for the last two and a half years. Great. Yeah. Great. So yeah, I know from talking to you previously, you're, you're more of an owner's rep. So you represent the owner, whether under due diligence or whether the actual owner of the property and you kind of like a construction manager, you're overseeing the contractors, you're, you're vetting bids, you're vetting vendors, you're making sure the, the bids are, the, are apples and apples and apples and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, well, we, we actually like to give owners a lot more control where we actually write the bid packages. So instead of collecting bids and making sure they're apples for apples, we define the specifications so that, I think the process that I see a lot of owners or managers uh, whether asset manager, property manager goes through is let's go talk to contractors and get bids and then see what fits our budget or, or see what we need versus I, we're actually hundred percent backwards from that. Right. We like to understand what the asset strategy is, what the budget is, what they could look at. And then we go to the property, evaluate what the needs are and say, okay, this is, these are some recommendations. This will last this long. This will last this long. 
Uh, and so we actually write the bid packages. We're not a general contractor, even though my business partner has his general A engineering license. So he is allowed you know, in the state of California. We're working on getting that in other states right now, but uh, can build bridges and do utility work. And he's very knowledgeable in, in that kind of work as well. So we write the specification uh, for the owners and then have, and then go collect bids. And then we find contractors and vet them out that fit that scope of work. because one paving contractor to another might be very different depending on the equipment they have, what kind of work they do. So that's what we do. Got it. So obviously, obviously I like that approach that you're, you're kind of driving the bus, if you will, making sure you're, you're getting what you need. And you talked about asset, kind of an asset management strategy. So tell me, I know, you know, I've, I've paid asset, I've paid on asset management, I've paid different vendors for concrete and seal coat and, and asphalt and, and gravel. I don't think I've done chip seal um, or some other slurry mixes, though I've, I've come close to once or twice. Tell So I have a little bit of knowledge, but I'm not nearly as sharp as you on this. Can you tell us a little bit about those different types of product and when they're appropriate, when they're not? I know so we, just, we just bought a park in northwest Nebraska where it's always cold. Well, the roads are gravel, but it's a different kind of gravel. It, it almost looks like you know asphalt packed and it's thick. It's a city street, right? Versus... Yeah. Where I'm from and came from in Western Illinois, gravel is you know, inch size white rock gravel that you know roll your ankle on. I mean, yeah. which which parks I've seen parks like that, right? So can you explain the, the the wide range from rock gravel to concrete, which I think are the worst and the best, or I guess dirt, but <laughs> dirt and concrete, and how you guys evaluate those from a long term asset management strategy? Absolutely. Um, one first thing we like to do is look at the, the asset itself is it an a b c asset kind of identify what market it's in uh, what price point are the lots at you know all these kind of financial considerations that i think most owners are looking at what, what level asset is this and then let's build to that level or are we trying to make it the next level right what what's the cash flow and what are we trying to do with that so if you depending on where you're at you got gravel it's probably treated gravel there's different treatments you can do cement treatment there's sprays um just different things you can do as far as depending on where you're at in the country there's different gravel treatments that you can put down that'll hold it pretty well together um we now great questions about chip seal we see a lot of road slurry i would put those as comparable type products uh, the problem that we see with those in mobile home parks is they're, they're not really designed for residential streets in slow moving where you have lots of people uh, turning in, turning out. What happens is the aggregate in those comes out and you get this really rocky finish probably after like a month or two because those are designed for roadways where cars are moving 35 to 45 miles per hour or higher. And actually those what's really rocky eventually gets worn in and it's part right. of that curing process and part of how that product operates. Um, we don't recommend it a lot unless you're in a really cold area. Uh, it really helps uh, with the snow and traction and ice and things like that where you may have that. Um, so we, there's different, different products. So what, one product I would love to actually share with your audience that I think more people can look into is what's called uh, fiber reinforced asphalt. Um, it's a relatively new in the world in that it's only been around for 15 years. There's a company called Fortify that makes a lot of concrete fibers. If you're pouring concrete in colder areas, East Coast, you're probably pouring 
I don't know if you're using rebar, if you're just doing fiber asphalt or fiber concrete. So it's, it's used for both concrete and asphalt. But that's a product for overlays or for even just replacement, because we're seeing a lot of, most mobile homeworks we see have really thin asphalt, two, right. maybe three inches. We've seen some an inch and three quarters. So uh, you can go up and, and the fiber will actually help mitigate. So we probably heard maybe Petromat, other paving fabrics that help. The idea here is extending the existing life of the asphalt. How can I extend it? And overlays is that, but the problem is you get reflective cracking. So eventually okay. those cracks will reflect up through. That's what the fabrics are for. Uh, now fiber reinforced asphalt does a very similar thing. It mitigates the reflective cracking, but then it also has higher resistance value. So there's less deterioration from surface erosion and things like that. Uh, about the same price, sometimes a little bit more expensive, but it hasn't really made its way into the public sector yet, into the private sector, I, I would say, actually, where asset managers, you see a lot on highways, roadways, airports, things like that, but it really hasn't made it into like mobile home parks and commercial or industrial. Like Walmart, I think, just did their first 40 properties last year. Really? Yeah, so it's, it's a newer product, but it can really extend the life of the asphalt by up to 50% more than a traditional overlay. Interesting. So, I mean, Walmart's probably a little, uh, got a little bigger budget than the average mobile home park owner. I, do I, can I assume that the fiber asphalt's more expensive than traditional asphalt? Yeah, usually it's about a 10 to 15% upcharge. Okay, yeah. so probably a good value, just, just more expensive, but a good value overall. Yeah. And I, I know from experience, a big part of the cost is kind of the mobilization of getting going where, you know, if it's if it's a hundred units of asphalt, it's 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 a hundred dollars. But if it's two hundred units of asphalt, it's maybe a hundred and twenty. Because there's yeah. there, there's there's obviously overhead insurance sales, but also just the mobilization of the crew. That mm -hmm. in 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 my world, I don't. It's not like I just, I, I rarely decide. Do I am I going to do half one side of the street? But what I decide is, well, they're already here. Do I want them to do the parking lanes? Do I want them to do driveways? Where like a gravel driveway is we can get gravel driveways for about a hundred bucks concrete's about a thousand per stall so most of our customers choose gravel and sometimes we put gravel in for free well we don't ever put concrete in for free maybe on new homes as part of the sales price but but sometimes when the asphalt guy's there he'll say hey how would i do 50 asphalt driveways and it's it's a hundred you know it's like what it's just cheap as gravel and it's messier you know but it's, yeah. it's harder to park but it's so tell us tell us how that that plays into the strategy from a there, there's obviously quality where I think concrete's the best, and there's not, and there's the things like this fiber asphalt that is news to me. This sounds really good. Those are more expensive, but they last longer. How do you, how do you on a mobile home park? You're obviously not going to get involved in a, a four thousand dollar road work job on a mobile park. What's the I guess what's the minimum job size you guys tackle, and how, how, do you, how does that work on the mobile home park business in particular? Yeah, um, remind me to come back and talk about the mobilization. Okay. There's some key points there. Uh, but our for us, you know, yeah, we're our average fee is like between five and ten thousand uh, dollars. And that's if we're traveling, you know, if we're local I and mean, we have offices in Southern California, I'm in northern Nevada. Uh, so me and my business partner, we kind of divide up, you know, north and south. He goes a lot to Denver. I think because he likes to go hunting and stuff like that, so he takes on those projects. But uh, um, but that, so that means I, a big. That means a big for mobile park. That means a pretty big job. That means you're, you're not yeah. you're talking a, over a hundred thousand dollar job, maybe. Mm -hmm. So which is generally going to be a repave, either a mill and overlay or overlay or repave, as opposed to crack seal and, and seal coat yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, 
Absolutely. And we always tell people like phone calls and emails are always free. Um, but come bringing that back to the, the mobilization and, and our fee, it's, I think one of the most undervalued uh, opportunities that I see in the market is uh, trying to gain some economies of scale. Most of the owners that I see, especially in the mobile home park spaces, they usually have a, a territory, I find. They have an area where they, in a state or metro area where they combine, they usually have multiple assets. And if you're gonna do asphalt work and you're only gonna do 20 or 30,000 at a time, you should really think about trying to coordinate two or three parks at a time. I don't know a single contract, pavement contract especially, that wouldn't give you a price reduction to do even just two jobs if right. they were at least somewhat near each other, you know, within half an hour, an hour. If you're willing to sign that second contract and you can coordinate that with your management teams, you we see five to 10% savings just on two jobs. You start looking at five, 10, you, you're seeing 20 to, depending on the size, obviously, if you're going to put five, you know, $500,000 jobs together, you're not going to see a huge saving. But if you put five or 10, 20 to 50 or $100,000 jobs together and bid them out as a package, you're going to see a huge savings. Got it. Yeah. So, and that's where we can also help too. So that maybe helps spread out our fee sometimes. You know, we can do 1500 or $2,500 per property uh, to evaluate and write the bid packages and solicit the bids. We like to make it so that we'll even get the, we want to make sure people get in their one-year warranty paperwork and that you're getting your um, your release of lien after the job as well. Because uh, sure. really, if there's, any, if there's any problem with the installation, you're going to know within the first year. If, it, if something goes wrong, if it doesn't get compacted right or something, the seal coat, was too watered down, for example, because um, the seal comes as a concentrate. I don't know if a lot of people know that. It's a concentrated product and then you water it. There's, the contractor's supposed to water it down 10 to 15% on average, uh, but a lot of them, they try to make a few extra bucks and 20, 30% water isn't on the scene and it just won't last. But you'll know within that first six months to a year. Once you get through the first with seal, for example, that first wet season, you're gonna know right away if it was, if it was watered down or not. Yeah, I've had that happen actually. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize it was because of overwatering, but I had, I paid it. I don't remember. It was like thirty thousand for the, the patching and milling overlay in certain spots, and then I got another ten for, for seal coat, and the seal coat didn't last. You know, it was yeah. just like it went from jet black, looked awesome. Six months later, it looked gray. Yeah, you know, I was like, what? And then I, you know. Tell me a little bit too. I know from a little bit of experience on like allegations in your in your asphalt, where you start to see cracks and you start to see the the spider web or alligator skin. It really is like the beginning of the end for that that portion of the of the land. At what point? How soon should you should you remedy that? Should you do like crack sealant or something right out the right right away, or should you cut out a patch like you know saw cut a patch and and fix that? Because that that's what I feel like the more common work is in, in mobile yeah. parks. Cause especially smaller parks that you got 30 lots. It's like, yeah. you can't really absorb a $50,000 asphalt job. You know, it's, if you got 400 pads, you put it, you spend a million dollars on asphalt, well, it just makes the park better. But if you got a 30 pad park, man, yeah. you know, you almost want to use cold patch, you know? You yeah. Got, you got a Home Depot, but that doesn't last. As you, as you know, snowplow eats it. But, um, so tell yeah. me about that. That's what I'm curious about is the allegations. The government just got bids on crack seal and, and, yeah. and it's like, man, this, this is a killer. Well, so that's, that's a great question. Uh, the alligatoring 
the alligatoring, right? Is the every I think, and when I for I'll say this when I first got in the business, the guy that really trained me was presented alligatoring like cancer, right? You got to cut it out and get rid of it, or it's just gonna grow. And in my experience, it's actually not really true. It really depends on the, the age of the asphalt. There's a lot of really good asphalt that's 20 or 30 years old, that's really alligator, but it hasn't moved. That's what I look for. Has it moved? Is it moving? Do you want to crack, fill, and seal regularly? I do think it's worth it. There's a lot of studies out there that show that regular, every three to five years, seals actually designed as a two coat process. So that's my, I think people, a lot of people sell the one coat because people will pay for it, but it's really designed as a two coat. If you're gonna do patches, the, the general rule is you gotta go two feet past the last crack to okay. make sure, because really what's happening is the substrate, the subgrade is deteriorating. Asphalt is, is, asphalt is a wearing surface. Everything's strength comes from the subgrade. What's underneath the asphalt is really gonna dictate the life of the asphalt. Like for example, I say, when I say asphalt is a wearing surface, the city of San Francisco has concrete streets they overlay them with two inches of asphalt to provide a smooth wearing surface. Asphalt isn't the end all be all. If it's cracked an alligator, you gotta look at the park and think, is it, is it sinking? Am I getting a pothole? Those are things that I'm willing to say, let's remove and replace. Uh, and I would try to find out the thickness of your asphalt. Mm. Like uh, I mentioned, two, two inches is, is what we are commonly seeing. And a mill and inlay at two inches is the same as a removal and placement. So when you're looking at bids, look at that thickness. Is that a common thickness for your area? Because I'll tell you, we see a lot of up to four inches. Check the language in the comments, oh, yeah. up to four inches. They're not four inches. Right. In my experience- I, I actually called the guy out on that. He was on site and was, it was, my bid was four inches. And I chose this guy who was a little more expensive than the other guy because the other guy was two inches. That I'm gonna pay five percent more for twice as much asphalt, and I went over and I saw him. And he was, and I said, I just looked at that. I got, I can tell. I said, that's not four inches. He said, oh, that must be that spot must not be level. I said, let's go look somewhere else. And and we, we put in, and he just he just looks at me. He's like, how about we just cut today's work in half? I mean, he was just like, it's too. It was too late. He'd already been doing his work. He's like, I can't go do everything four four inches now. Mm -hmm. Just like, wow, he, he, I'm sure he gets away with that all the time. All the time. And if you're not there, so one thing we educate our clients is know how to, it's a simple calculation, square foot times thickness times 0 0.006. It doesn't work everywhere in the country, but you should be within five to 10% of how many tons. Asphalt is purchased differently than concrete. You buy concrete by the square yard. You buy asphalt by the ton. So you should be able to calculate your tonnage and know what your with that equation you get pretty close and know exactly how much tons you so if you're on a job ask the glass guy at the end of the day for his weight ticket they calculate the weight throughout the day so they'll know how many tons on the weight ticket are in that load and how many tons have been delivered to that site for the day that's and great so you're right that's one of the things we see all the time we try to educate owners on it's like you're probably not getting the thickness that you're paying for no, I was, I was just, I was, I, I saw it myself. I was just like, that's not four inches. Like, yeah. And, and, and the guy it. caved. I mean, I'm kidding. He, he caved on the spot. This was the owner yeah. of the company, 50%. Sometimes I tell you, 
you've got alligating. They'll say, here's another like common misconception that you get a lot from contractors. You can't mill and inlay that. It'll pulverize. They'll say you'll pulverize the asphalt and break through. We've done a lot of jobs where we've milled two inches and new areas were only two, two and a half inches thick. And so we broke through. The way they make these grinders now, as long as that substrate is strong, I've never had one break through and cause a huge problem. Never. They try to tell you that that's going to happen, but it usually doesn't. The way these, they make these grinders, grinders and milling machines now, they can break through the asphalt, get to the subgrade, and actually cut it right on grade and not cause a huge problem. And they can pay right over that. They won't be able to tack it because they want to usually tack it because it's dirt, right? But two inches of asphalt is, is pretty standard. I think most people, if, unless you have a lot of overlays, you know, the minimum overlay you should get is an inch. That is kind of construction standards. You really don't want to get a fabric. The minimum engineer is an inch and a half for those fabric overlays, Petromat. And that's the two inches ideal from the overlay. So if you're doing an overlay, you're probably doubling your thickness. Be careful about grinding transitions. Uh, we, we looked at this one in Idaho actually recently, and you can tell they just ground the edges and then overlay the middle. So you kind of create a hump, which is sometimes good for water to drain. Right. But what happens is you have a storm drain and if they don't grind down properly, then you're going to, what they do is they taper it off from two to zero. And every, that first couple of feet where it gets really thin is just going to break up really quick. So look at the process that they're using as well. Make sure they mill it the full depth thickness all the way to the end. Patches, uh, I feel like we kind of got distracted from the original question on patches, but patches are kind of like as needed, potholes, things like that. Those are the only thing. I don't necessarily look at alligating as a problem. I want to see that. That should play out over maybe five years, 10 years, kind of monitor it. See if it gets worse over the next few years. If you see sinking though of potholes, those isolated areas, I would focus on patches. Got it. Good information. A couple of things that uh, tips I want to share too, that I know from what you just said, um, I had a park I actually sold the park, but as part of it had a conduit CMBS loan as part of the property condition assessment, they sent out somebody like yourself to inspect the property and they required a two inch overlay as the minimum on some of the road work. So I know from agency loans too, it's like you, it's, you gotta have, you can't have gravel roads on those loans. So sometimes if you got to, you think about not just your asset management from a capital expenditure and from a, you kind of a maintenance requirement, but you look like, what's my, what's my exit strategy for the property? If it's a, if it's a cash out refinance with an agency loan, having better road condition is going to be more important. And then to, to preserve the roads, a practical step to, that we always employ, we're closing on a deal next Friday and the road, there's a parking lot, there's a duplex and in between the duplex and the mobile home park. It's like the entry to the mobile home park is a huge parking lot for some reason. It is absolutely destroyed because they have a big dumpsters right there. So the trash trucks, the, the regular weekly trash cart trucks, trucks to pick up polycart, I don't remember the number, but they weigh like 6,000 pounds, not too much. They don't do that much damage. The, the, the trash truck that picks up the big 10 by 10 dumpster weighs 30,000 pounds and turns. And, and we had one in the park and it just crushed that road. I mean, just crushed it. And we couldn't get it out of there fast enough. Um, so that's, that's one way to, I think, to preserve your road is to, is your, your trash, your trash contract and how you work it. Yeah. The, I mean, gosh, trash trucks keep us in business. <laughs> yeah. You love them. Yeah. They really do. Um, and that's, the, that's a good point. I've seen the owners that replace 
and didn't replace it thick enough or didn't address the substrate issue. And so five years, 10 years later, they're replacing it again because the trash truck just hammers it. Uh, one suggestion that we make regularly that is see if you can pulverize your existing asphalt. If you have a thinner section or you have good elevation, you don't necessarily have to remove and replace it. You could just pulverize it, mix that asphalt in with the top three or four inches of whatever your substrate is. The, it'll bind together usually really well and create a new stronger substrate and then you can pave on top of that. Uh, so that's another solution we've seen work really well in that particular situation uh, with the trash trucks. They do make they do they cause a lot of damage. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Another thing when you when you talk about the elevation there that made the extra substrate it made me think of from the, the legal side, make sure you don't have too big a drop offs on the side. I've seen it where people get six, it seems like six inches there's a cliff. But it's not a curve where people see it's just, just like a cliff hidden in the grass. So that's not good. But one thing that I think is good is if you get kind of like we're talking about mobilization, the asphalt guys, if they're out there, they can do speed bumps pretty immediately pretty easily versus having to do speed bumps I, I think it's like if you do a speed bump all got to do 10 speed bumps is going to want 1500 bucks pop but if you do 10 speed bumps while you're doing your road he's like how about 100 bucks yeah it's not that much work and i can I, and i've had him cut i've had to saw cut personally before you put down to create gaps in the middle of them so that water can flow on a very flat park but if the guy's put the speed bump in, he can leave a little spacer there and leave a gap in your speed bump, not wide enough that you can roll an ankle, but but narrow enough that it lets water through. I've got one part in particular where it's just like perfectly flat everywhere. Well, then the water accumulates at the speed bumps. Yeah. So yeah, versus so one versus one solid speed bump, you've got two. Sometimes they're angled. We we notice instead of being flat, sometimes they'll be angled a little bit so that water will flow through them. Uh, you do have to worry about the elevations. A good contractor will either like mill or grade those areas so that even if you just have to move things around so there is a nice smooth transition. That's one thing we're, we're pretty, we're working on one in Washington and they have uh, the speed bumps currently, but we're gonna pulverize the whole thing. And so what we're gonna do is kind of change the elevation a little bit. And it's an old, there's a, I, I was in there, I was in there for, three days doing the evaluation, doing some testing. And I noticed a lot of people in, um, you know, uh, mobile vehicle, like the vehicles, like not vehicles, but uh, I'm trying to like think. Golf carts? Golf carts, things like that. We looked at, we, we're gonna offset and provide like a, a five foot path on one side. So that people with strollers or have medical disabilities that use carts or golf carts, they can get around a little bit more smoothly. Uh, and water can flow as well. So we're gonna kind of combine those two options together in that regard. Great, good fit. Thinking about the comfort of the tenants, I think too, uh, especially when scheduling, like how can we make it as easy as possible for both the tenant and get the work done? That's usually never a fun process. <laughs> oh, I know, it's the worst, yeah, it's yeah. the worst. But... So, but if you have a good plan, uh, I think most people are usually pretty excited at the end of the work because it, it does kind of rejuvenate the park. Um, oh, it's, it's huge. I mean, it's just it's just not inexpensive. It's, I mean, it's, I say painting program is a, a great way to change the culture. Bringing new homes is a way to change the culture. Putting in roads is a great way to change the culture. It's yeah. probably the most expensive way to do it, but it, it definitely definitely is an overnight change. Uh, yeah. for sure. I would encourage folks to keep costs down. Uh, look at even patches milling in lake. 
unless it's really sinking or uh, have huge structural deficiencies, just because you see alligator doesn't mean you have to remove and replace it. That is not true. And there are some cheaper options with mill. Uh, like I said, I, we do a lot of mill and inlay. And that's what Walmart's doing. That's what Target is do, are doing. These other large asset owners, they're going, they're not doing patches anymore. Uh, even on small, they're not doing the whole parking lot, but they'll, they understand that the thickness isn't what the contractors usually say it is. And that a two inch million inlay might be actually the same as a removal replacement at the end of the day. Great, great stuff, Scott. I appreciate appreciate your insights. Any more any more tips before we, we let you go? And, and if and if not, where where can people find you? Uh, tips uh, again. I'll go back to try to combine projects, especially if you have smaller parks. If they're near each other, if even if you're looking at your capex strategy, try to put those two three years together, or find a year where you could do two or three at a time. You'll save a lot of money, a little bit more coordination time, but I think you'll save. You'll get a much better bigger bang for your buck. Uh, you can find me a lot on LinkedIn. Uh, that's where I hang out most days because I can't really deal with any of the other social media sites currently with our State of the Union. So I stick to LinkedIn. Uh, Scott Jolly, I think Scott G. Jolly, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, site Consulting Specialist is the name of our company. Uh, we're launching a new series, Building Cap Experts, and it's kind of a pun on the actual building and building up people, just educating people on different products and resources out there. Really, another tip I would say is check out that fiber reinforced asphalt. Uh, it, it could save a lot of money, in, not both now and in the future. Um, yeah, that's probably it. Site Consulting Specialist is a, .com is our, is our website, and we are the CAP experts. Yeah. All right, Scott, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.